Welcome in everyone to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built. And we are a member of the 1012 Podcast Network, and you can find more great Big 12 content over at 1012network.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Spotify helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter or X, Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Shoot us an email, longhornrepublicpod at gmail.com. I'd also like to remind you, this show is brought to you by our friends over at Charlie Hustle Clothing Company. They are a vintage-inspired clothing company based out of Kansas City that specializes in collegiate and hometown apparel. They want you to be the best dress fan for this season. They've got this Eyes of Texas shirt that I cannot get over, but be sure to check out all of the wide selection of officially licensed collegiate apparel today. Show off your school spirit all season along with 30 different schools to choose from. They've got you covered with all of your apparel needs. You can get 15 percent off any non-sale item not first time purchase any non-sale item using the code 10 12 15 that's ten one two one five at checkout over at www.charliehustle.com charlie hustle vintage made fresh my name is gerald goodridge i'm your host this week like i am every week and i'm joined by a man who cannot stand the color red kyle carpenter kyle how are you um, red is okay. It's it's the deeper, um, more cranberry juice colored um, shade, the, the 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 crimson variety. Um, there's multiple uses that cranberry juice can be effective for. Prune juice, right? Um, menstruation, constipation, different things that it can help with. Um, and honestly, the last time these two teams that we're about to talk about played. Both of those things were affecting a 49-0 to zero performance. No, I kid. Wow. I kid. Uh, crimson uh, headshots coming at you right off the top, Gerald. I don't know how to follow that, Kyle. You've got me You've got me flabbergasted. With your Stanley Cup, you've got me flabbergasted. Now, we're here to talk about the biggest football game of the year thus far, Texas. Heading up I-35, meeting them in the Cotton Bowl to take on the Oklahoma Sooners. Texas in the burnt orange this year. There's been a trend where the, the team in the aways has won the vast majority of the last, like, seven or eight of them. But Texas hoping to reverse that trend against the Oklahoma Sooners. Got some well today around the Big 12, some college scores, uh, some awesome stuff happening there, and then we'll close the show out with some Godzilla Tron. So for the final time in the Big 12, the first time since 2011, both schools are undefeated. Texas and OU both ranked in the most storied game of the week college game day will be on hand for the red river every big techs will be there fletcher's corny dogs will be there all of your favorite things all of the fair food but texas and ou squaring off for the top spot in the conference the top spot uh in the playoff hopes from the conference i think um most teams could probably survive one loss but it's better to be undefeated coming out of the big 12 uh based on the perception of the league at this time but big big weekend and kyle i've got to be honest with you like i feel good about texas but i still like, I still have a bit of that, like, battered fan syndrome going on where I'm like, I don't like feeling good about it. Well, it, it, this isn't a game that you come in and, and logic dictates anything that happens, right? Texas could be very, very good. OU could be horrendous, and they could still win. It could be vice versa, where OU, um, you know, is is humming on all cylinders and, and 
Texas poops in their punch bowl. You know, um, this is this is a game. This is a true rivalry game. I think it's the truest rivalry game. It's the, the, really the only neutral site uh, rivalry game like this in the country. Uh, it's something special. There's a reason every person who's ever gone to this for the first time is just wowed um, by the the atmosphere, the energy, the hatred, um, the 11 a.m. kickoff. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's you are you are looking at the Red River rivalry presented by Head and Shoulders, and as I, I joked in our our Monday or our Tuesday show, um, that sponsorship is apt because these two teams are head and shoulders above every other team in the conference. It's it's not even close. Look, Georgia gets bragging rights because they're the two-time defending national champion, but you could maybe make the argument that these two teams are right now better than every other team in the SEC, Georgia withstanding, uh, they being the only caveat. But, I mean, this is this is a, a legit, should be top 10, I, I think, we know less about OU than we do about Texas. We know Texas is good at this point. We we think OU is good. Um, they've they've been good, right? Like giving them some credit. They're they're a very good team. Um, but we just know a little bit less about them. But they, this should be a top ten battle. I mean, whoever wins this, uh, as Gerald said, is in the driver's seat for the the Big Twelve title and honestly the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, they're in the driver's seat for sure. And this is, to me, what the Red River rivalry in the Big 12 should be and was for such a long time. Like, whoever wins this game, like, we used, to, it used to be like whoever won this game represented the South in the conference championship game and usually had a shot at a national championship, right? And so this is what it is, and this is what it should be. And, you know, Texas and OU are, you know, by most metrics, two of the top teams in the country. Um, you know, Brian Fremo is a guy that we love. FEI is probably one of my favorite of the advanced stats. But OU is three. Texas is five uh, in the opponent-adjusted efficiency. Uh, Oklahoma's offense is third in the country. Their defense is 14th in the country. Texas, the offense is ninth in the country. Defense is fourth in the country for uh, opponent-adjusted efficiency. So by every standard and metric you can find, you can look at CFB graphs, you can look at SP+, you can look at F+, you can look at all of those ratings. And Texas and OU are going to be the top two. Like, you look at F+, right now, which is um, the SP+, and the FEI, Texas is three. OU is seven, right? Uh, the OU defense gets hit a little bit harder and their special teams get hit a little bit harder than Texas there. Um, but like the the measure of this, this is a heavyweight title fight of the two premier teams in the conference and likely two of the premier teams in the country. And so it's exciting to see this back to being what it is. An 11 a.m. kickoff. Texas is going to be, it's going to be a Chamber of Commerce day, like 76 degrees at kickoff mm. in Dallas. Just exactly Gorgeous. what you want out of this. And, and Texas uh, has an opportunity to, to reverse a lot of the narrative about them by coming out and being dominant in this game. While OU can silence a lot of the doubters and a lot of the, um, is, Oh, is OU really back or has their schedule been soft? So like that, that is kind of all the story coming in. And so Kyle, when we think about the Oklahoma Sooners, the offense has been a lot of the story, right? Dylan Gabriel kind of riding the ship, then getting things going uh, in the running game. The offense looks night and day better than it did a year ago. But again, some of the conversation is, is that based on the opponents or are they better? And I think the answer might be both. You're absolutely right, Gerald. And I don't think enough people are giving enough respect to the Arkansas State Red Wolves. Um, you know, um, they they beat Stony Brook to get their first win of the season. So, I mean, they're a good team that OU beat 73-0. to zero. Or, or SMU, their best win. They're, they're almost inside the top 50, Gerald. Um, Tulsa, who... who 
you know, they've played two teams of, of merit this year and lost by 40 points to both of them. Um, Cincinnati, who, you know, scored six whole points against OU. They're, they're not a great team either. Iowa State, who scored way less than that um, against Ohio, not State, just Ohio, um, scored 20 against OU. Like, it, here's what I'll say, right? I'm, uh, the jokes aside, no matter who you play, you have to go out and beat them. And to their credit, OU has done that, right? Cincinnati 20 to 6 wasn't real great. SMU 28 to 11 is a little bit of an exaggeration, some late points for a, what was a really close game um, throughout that one, especially where their offense couldn't get going. So, yes, you're right, Gerald. You're absolutely right that their offense has been quite good. Dylan Gabriel has been, you know, been solid, averaging, you know, 10 a, 10 a completion um, this season and 75% completion. He's just efficient. Um, 15 touchdowns to two interceptions. They've only given up, I think, four sacks this year. Um, so good, good, good stuff all around there. They, they run without having the elite wide receivers you usually associate with OU. Um, they run, you know, kind of uh, deep choice routes that these lesser um, – I don't want to say talent, but, you know, people who probably don't have, they haven't played an NFL defensive back yet this season. Um, and it, maybe TJ Tampa, um, but for Iowa State, but um, it, it, uh, it basically puts those guys in, in some conflict and they've had a lot of wide open passes uh, where Gabriel can just hit the guy man, I want one of these for Texas where no one's 20 yards around him, right? Those are nice. Give some credit to Levy. They go in at an incredible tempo, like just tempo, 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 tempo. Don't let you get your packages in. Run a lot of plays. It obviously uh, inflates their stats a little bit, I think, for sure. Um, but it's hard to defend, right? And, and you know, Texas has a ton of depth, and I think that will serve them in that game, in a four-quarter game. Uh, as they go tempo, you know, Texas has the type of depth that other teams don't. They can hang with that and not be absolutely gassed by the fourth quarter. Um, the one thing I will I will zoom in on, Gerald. Can you give me a reminder of how many rushing yards Jonathan Brooks had last week? I believe he had 218 yards on his 21 carries. That is correct. And Gerald, can you name any Oklahoma running back on their roster who has more than 218 yards on the season? I cannot. That's because there isn't one. Marcus Major has 199 through five games, uh, and Tawi Walker has 193 through five games. They do not have a rusher who has 200 yards on the season. Now, that's not to say that they can't cobble together a rushing game, and, and Dylan Gabriel showed some some pop with his legs against Iowa State. Um, I, I'm not saying they can't find a way maybe they'll install the triple option and and come out and surprise texas but i i do think they're a bit one-dimensional on the offensive side of the ball that is if i'm looking at this game and i'm looking at strength for strength right let's see how the injuries play out and if we can have watts back i'll feel even better about our secondary against the receivers but certainly more talented but the defensive line especially the interior defensive line uh against the running game of oklahoma makes me feel like this can texas can make this team one-dimensional yeah, I mean, you are, you and I have talked about it. It's kind of a a, a, a idiom. It's like when teams go one-dimensional, the pendulum swings to the defense, right? The pendulum swings to the other team's advantage. And I think, you know, Texas, 
is going to be able to get some pressure on OU. I think their offensive line hasn't been as tested as they probably can be, and I think this is going to be the best defensive line that most teams are going to face this year. Uh, so, like, Texas is going to put some pressure on that run game. Texas is going to put some pressure on Dylan Gabriel to make some plays with his feet. And no disrespect to Dylan Gabriel. I think Dylan Gabriel is a very good quarterback. But Texas has done good jobs against quarterbacks with better feet, keeping them contained. So I, I am curious to see what it looks like, what PK schemes up. PK has been in his bag now for five straight weeks. I have zero doubts that PK has the scheme together to, to um, take away what OU wants to do. And that's really what PK has done best this year is take away what a team wants to do. We saw it in the halftime adjustments against Kansas. You know, when Jalen Daniels was out unexpectedly, Kansas, you know, expanded Jason Bean's role. Uh, the the package that Jason Bean was already prepared to run just kind of became the offense. Um, and then at halftime, Pete Kwiatkowski came in, drew some stuff on the whiteboard, and Texas came out and shut him down. I'm assuming they still have whiteboards in the in the locker room, and it's not like an <laughs> iPad situation. But you get what I'm saying, right? I'm just thinking of uh, Will Muschamp punching the, uh, the whiteboard and screaming, everybody do your job. But anywho, so like that is the thing that I'm watching is like, you know, what will Pete Kwiatkowski have drawn up and how does OU have the horses to beat it? And I think of it's almost like the Nick Saban philosophy on defense, right? Nick Saban, the way to beat Nick Saban and our friend Brett um, over at Roll Bammer Roll said this, right? Nick Saban's key to a to a successful defense is to force college quarterbacks to make throws that most college quarterbacks can't make. And everybody that beats Bama generally makes those throws, right? And I don't know if Dylan Gabriel is that guy. It's so I'm and especially with the receivers that OU has right Texas, you know, obviously they've got some injuries in the secondary that are going to be something to watch, but I'm curious to see what they're able to do, what they're able to draw up um, to get in the way of those option routes to play some zone to play some um, the option routes really thrive off of man coverage. So I'm curious to see uh, if PK sticks to them because, you know, when when Manny Muhammad and Ryan Watson, everybody are healthy, right? Uh, they, they are shut down quarters, but do they switch to a little more zone? Do they switch to some more exotic looks? I'm curious to see what he has drawn up for it, but I feel good. Like if there's a unit on of the two that I feel better about, it's very obviously and clearly the Texas defense matching up against the OU offense. And and I'll, I'll point out two things here. I think they'll probably probably go match quarters. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm truly not sure. We'll see. But um, Texas defense has been a little bit susceptible to the deep ball, right? We've seen uh, Bug Thompson get beat a little bit um, just with you know some elite receivers um, who have speed, right? We saw Watts get beat over the top with Baylor receivers who are who are you know some of the fastest in the country. Admittedly, they're not an elite receiving unit, but they had a lot of speed and they they used it to their advantage a couple times. Um, you saw it last week when some hurry up offense basically kept Keaton Crawford out at deep safety, which you know he probably would have been rotated out had it not been for. Um, that so you'll see less probably personnel change on downs from Kukowski. Um, but you know, it saw Keaton Crawford get left out there, and he's a run first safety at this point, uh, in his career. And he got caught play action watching and had a post run in front of him for a touchdown, right? Texas can be susceptible, so I think that's what's going to be drilled into them all week is you know, don't let the home run play beat you, don't let you know, some of Gabriel's deep ball completions this year have been guys I saw one against Iowa State that was literally double covered and he threw a deep ball um threw it behind him and so the receiver made a great play to stop let the the you know hit the brakes let the let the plane fly right by um but stop and let the defenders run and just you know kind of catches he's falling down a, a deep ball that looks great in the stat sheet but a a skilled defensive player I think Jade Barron 
I think Jalen Catalan makes an interception on that play, right? So can Texas make them pay for for Gabriel likes to you know trust his arm and throw? Uh, he doesn't have Quinn Ewers arm strength, but he he certainly has the confidence that he has Quinn Ewers arm strength. So can Texas, who's been seeing a l- little bit more of a, a bullet uh, in in practice all year, can they take advantage of that and jump some of those deep routes and make him pay? Um, and can they also you know when jumping is one thing, can they also not? try to make a play and get beat over top, right? Because that's Oklahoma offense is going to, you know, feast and and predicate on making that. The other thing is the running game, as I talked about. I saw a stat, um, and it wasn't me who pulled this. I found it on on Twitter. I believe it was Nash Talks Texas. But um, 40.8% of the rushing yards against Texas this year have come in the first three drives. Let me say that again. Nearly 41% of the rushing yards Texas has allowed through five games have come on the first three drives of those five games. So in 15 total drives, they've had 43 rushing attempts for just under 200 yards. Uh, in 111 drives on the other 51 drives of the, the uh, five previous games, they've given up 280 yards. Um, so from 4.5 yards per attempt uh, and two touchdowns to 2.5 yards an attempt and no touchdowns. So what that tells me is even if there is an exotic running game, even if there is a package, you know, Sark has been a little bit lampooned for saying, oh, there's a look we, we didn't have, you know, weren't expecting to see. Um, they did something we, we hadn't seen at all. Um, even if that is the case, that defense has really adjusted incredibly well. Also, the offense gets scoring and again, forces them away from some of the things they might do, but um, they have adjusted well. So even if they do try to get the running game going, I have confidence in their ability to adjust. So this one will all come down to me, to Dylan Gabriel and the receivers who who aren't bad receivers, I'll say that, but it is not the names, the the five star, the the NFL ready skill talent. Andrell Anthony is their leading receiver. Jalil Farouk, Nick Anderson, like and Drake Stoops. Uh, I would not be you know surprised if you're not just a diehard recruit, Nick, or you go and scout opponent games if you hadn't heard of any of those receivers, except obviously Drake Stoops, but for different reasons. Um, you know, Brennan Thompson is is their what sixth leading receiver with two catches um so you know it's um there it's not a unit that is as good as texas as we know that but it's, it can beat you so can texas out athlete stay disciplined make plays and beat ultimately dylan gabriel so the OU defense, highly, highly disruptive, uh, 14.5% havoc play percentage, um, stuff rate of just 33%, uh, 33% line yards per rush, 2.2, both very good yards per play. They're tied at 19th with 4.5. Uh, Texas and OU points per game, uh, number four in the country, OU 10.8, number eight in the country, Texas 12.8. So this is going to be a, a set of good defenses, and I think, you know, this is going to be... And I'll just go and say it. Uh, this is shaping up as it stands right now. And again, um, OU schedule. We, there are questions about the schedule and the the legitimacy of some of the teams that they're playing. But you know, part of college football is going out and dominating the people you're you're across from. And so that's what OU has done. And so you know, led by a guy like Danny Stutzman, who's probably going to be like the linchpin for what OU's wanting to do on defense. Like uh, this is going to be the first big test for them. And I think this is going to be the best test for Texas uh, since Alabama, because Alabama. Alabama is not Alabama of old, but Alabama still has dudes. And so, um, you know, we saw what Texas did and was unable to do against Alabama. So I'm very curious to see how this offense is. Jonathan Brooks going to have a, have another day. Is he going to be able to pace the offense? Is Texas going to be as balanced as they were, right? Steve Sarkeesian talks about balance as being able to run the type of play you want when you need to run it. And that's what Texas did. A 
against Kansas. Will they be able to do that against OU or will OU be able to uh, put the kibosh on some of the running success that Texas has seen as of late that really opens things up for the offense? I mean, I think it's wild that the two most accounting, uh, accountingly named, accountant named uh, players in the Big 12 make up the core of this linebacking unit. And Danny Stutzman and Kip Lewis, they have a guy named Kip Lewis, who's their third leading tackler. Come on, Texas, you got to be able to, to handle these guys. Um, if Sark's a real one, he'll have a a, a, a passing tree uh, linebacker conflict route this week called the Dodd-Frank. Um, put these dudes in, in conflict. Make them run. Make them, uh, make them do something here. No, but it is, it is a really good linebacking core. They actually have a, a, a solid defensive line as well. Um, they're they're a, a good unit top to bottom, maybe even a very good unit we shall see. Um, defensive back is interesting. They have Peyton Bowen, who's a playmaker back there. Woody Washington's still there, but Texas has burnt the, the heck out of Woody Washington, who gets a lot of praise but doesn't always show it in Texas week. Um, and, uh, and, and you know, th- there's a guy named Billy Bowman who, who once Bijan made him an upside-down uh, image and meme. Um, doesn't matter whether he was a Texas commit at one point. Um, I would like to see that guy stiff-armed again. Uh, they, Deshaun McCullough will probably play linebacker for them. And, and he is a linebacker who came in, I think Indiana, uh, in the transfer portal, well regarded, uh, against the run, but really gets stretched against the pass. You saw last week where Texas, you know, had a game plan against Kansas to just put their linebackers in conflict, right? The run game was, was geared up to let the running backs beat the linebackers. The pass game basically was just picking on the linebackers and in, in making them choose. And then just picking the other one constantly, um, mainly with, with Adonai Mitchell, but I will be very curious what they draw up this week, but man, I'm I am Sark is always in his bag for OU, right? Like they score fifty points a game against OU. It's just what they do, or at least forty five every year. And this is a really good ben- Brett Venables defense, so much better uh, than it was last year. But I mean, that's still Steve Sarkeesian, and, and you feel like he pulled out all the stops for Alabama, but you know he had a couple OU specific ones they've been working on the off season for this defense, for Brett Venables, for you know. The, the points of this, the, the weak spots of this crew. Um, now, obviously, Jatavian Sanders would be a huge part of this, so we're waiting to get just some confirmations on the injury, you know, news of him because he's such a... Um, leverage A creator. force multiplier. Yeah, leverage creator, a force multiplier, right? Like, what he can do stretches and, and you know, skews your defense because you have to count for so many things from him. Now, we know Xavier Worthy, if they leave him one-on-one, what he can do. We know what... Mitchell can do when you you double you know worthy, but it, it helps to have uh, that extra weapon. And and I I wouldn't be surprised if even Jonte Cook, if if we don't have Sanders, is out there a little bit more for passing routes, just because you have basically a another receiver who uh, can stretch a defense in the same way that Xavier Worthy can uh, in underneath or over the top routes. So it'll be curious to see. I, I, maybe we've been saving a Cook breakout for this this week. I'm not predicting necessarily that will happen, but it definitely could happen. But but you know, I think the amount of weapons they have and the commitment to balance, I think they're going to get the running game moving to keep them honest. I think Quinn Ewers, if they're playing man and playing back, will be there to, I don't think he's going to get any 30-yard touchdowns, but to stretch defenses, pick up seven, and, you know, move the chains, that type of stuff. And so I think this I think this will be a well-oiled machine, an offense that's looked great uh, in different ways each week, I think is going to put it all together for this one. 
Yeah, and I think that's that's not an unfair assessment. You mentioned Billy Bowman, right? Billy Bowman is is a guy who I think is an incredible playmaker for you, but also is susceptible sometimes. You saw it against Iowa State, where on their opening drive, he he absolutely ran her out, jumped it, pick six, housed it, uh, and then on the next drive was out of position and gave up a massive touchdown uh, completion yep. to uh, Iowa State. So like you know, Billy giveth and Billy taketh, um, and so I, I'm. Very curious to see. I honestly think that the two most important position groups on the field on Saturday are the two teams safety groups. Cause I think both have looked susceptible in some spots. And so is it going to be OU safeties or is it going to be Texas safeties that are able to put, put it together and do what they need to do to get the win? Cause I think, you know, we know what the offensive lines and the defensive lines are going to be for both teams. I think it's going to be um, curious to see OU's groups stack up against it. And what we're going to just go call it, elite group at Texas in the trenches on both sides of the ball. I think it's fair to say that now at this point, but like really the, the back end of these defenses, I think is going to determine a lot. And I think for OU, the best strategy of winning this game is to, is to turn it into a shootout to force someone to go point for point. I think if it's a defensive slugfest, I'm going to probably put money in Texas is more money in Texas's corner. But I think if it's a shootout that the, the variance is higher. Um, but, and, and I think, that favors OU because again I think there is a lot to be said for um, just catching safeties and defenses out of position but uh, overall I feel like this is going to be another one of those games that you, you can't even tell because because it's Red River and you just never freaking know what's going to happen one stat that I'll be watching is uh, Red Zone Texas is number one this year in opponent Red Zone scoring OU is pretty good 39th in the country in Red Zone scoring and then if you flip the other way Texas, though they've had some woes and you would want more touchdowns than field goals and they've missed field goals from deep, um, Texas is still number 34 in red zone scoring uh, as an offense. OU is uh, number 28 in opponent red zone scoring. So it'll come down to can they get down there on each side of the ball and then which one of those, you know, is the more effective unit, right? Is it Texas's offense versus OU's defense or Texas's uh, defense versus OU's offense? Can they win those battles? Um, on money downs, Texas is now number six in the country in defensive third down efficiency after after skunking Kansas and number 27 on fourth downs. Um, they've allowed exactly four fourth down conversions this season. If you think back to a very dark time, uh, they allowed six to Texas, to Texas Tech alone in Donovan Smith alone last year. So um, OU is currently number eight on third downs on offense. So it will be strength on strength there. Um, each team wants to extend drives and get into those red zones to try to get points um, or to, you know, get close enough to take shots. So when you flip it over, OU is number seven uh, defensively against third down in Texas. Um, number 47 on offense on third down. So Texas will need to be a little bit more efficient in the red zone, be a little bit more efficient on third down. Some of those have been plays where they knew they were going forward on fourth down admittedly, but they they will need to they'll need to come out, be efficient, uh, keep the drives moving, move the chains, be able to run the ball even for third and shorts, have have a multiplicity and, and show different looks. Um, and if they can if they can hit on on like a Texas offense that's really good. They're scoring on first down shots. They're scoring on second and, and sixes where they have the defense not knowing where they're coming. That's when they hit you for the post over the middle. That's when, you know, they're able to break the run outside. That's when these big plays happen uh, is when they're ahead of the chains and they're able to take shots and be comfortable doing so. So Texas, they do need the efficient efficiency on the money downs and in the red zones, but will they be that efficient team all game long so that those things uh, aren't the only uh, stats that matter? So speaking of stats that matter, Kyle, it's time 
to do our Podstradamus picks brought to you by Prize Picks. Remember, Prize Picks is the best legal way to play player props in states like California, Florida, Texas, and more. It's an easy way to play daily fantasy. You just pick two to five players and go in on an over, under on the projections. You can win up to 10 times on an entry. Just you versus the projections. They've got a ton of stats to choose from. Yardage, carries, touchdowns, all of those things. You can mix and match between the NFL, college football, NBA's fixing to start up, college basketball's fixing to start up, MLB playoffs, soccer, all of that going on. But picking is easy with their award-winning app on the App Store and Google Play Store, and you can get a 100% instant deposit match of up to $100 by using the code LONGHORN12 on your initial deposit. They offer safe and fast rewards. You can get your money out and have a little bit of fun with it. So if you got a couple extra pieces of change floating around your couch, go on over, download that app. You can get 100% match bonus using the code LONGHORN12. But Kyle, with all of that out of the way, what is your first Potsdamus pick of the week? Gerald, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Texas will win the ground war. The air war will be up for debate. The air force uh, will be up for debate. But the army, the uh, the the marines, the the ground war, uh, Texas will win. Their offensive line is going to handle OU's defensive line. They're not going to get beat by uh, the simple twist stunt from the defensive tackles. We're in a new era. Um, but they will push on the running game, and Texas' defensive line will stand strong, and that depth will show through, and Bill Biedenbaugh will wish he had gone out to California. No, I, I think Texas will win the running game by 75 yards. Okay. All right. All right. I love it. I love that plays well with my pod Stradama. So OU has not given up more than 150 yards this year. The high number was Iowa State on uh, this last Saturday, 150 yards on 27 carries. Have not given up a rushing TD all year. You heard that right. OU defense not giving up a rushing TD all year. I think Texas is going to score two on the ground. Um, I like that a lot. I like our complimentary nature here. I think what that means is you are just going to throw for 450 and six touchdowns and they're not going to run the ball I'm, at all. I'm not going to say <laughs> that Quinn Ewers is going to be the one that runs them both, but White Mike Vick might be in the house on Saturday. I think you mean Vanilla Vince, by the way. Um, that is that is Vanilla Vince Young, Quinn Ewers. Um, Kyle, the, you, it's Quince Young, right? That's what we're going with, Quince Young? No. So I, I, I've been thinking that. Quintavious was far too contrived when, when Quince Young was right there. I, I first said Quincy, and then Quince was just waiting there for me. So, yes, Quince Young is the name. Um, I love it. He may have uh, 75 yards and two touchdowns himself, which would be which would be wonderful. Um, Gerald, this is this is a game where, as I said, OU wants to throw the ball. And that means two things, and I could see each of our predictions going over both of them. You either get that quarterback's keister on the ground or you wait for him to throw it, and then you take it away from him. I think Texas will force Dylan Gabriel into at least one INT on the season. He's had a really efficient uh, year where he's basically only thrown two interceptions in five games. Quinn's only thrown one. We're still better. But I think that number will rise. I think they will have at least one of Dylan Gabriel's balls in their hands. Going to leave that one alone. But, yeah, so mine, uh, I think mine will beget yours probably. OU has given up just four sacks this year. And so, again, like a wise man once said, you got to dance with the one that brung you, 
Texas, two sacks on the game. I think they're going to get after Gabriel, going to put him on the ground. Yeah, I like uh, I like getting some balls and also getting getting the sack. So I I think um, I think that's. I think that's great predictions for our defense. Um, I'm not going to be lured into anything special teams, uh, though Texas, you know, uh, this is the game, hopefully, where they you make yourself a hero on special teams with your Jordan Shipley's and those, but uh, I've been burnt the past two weeks, so I'm going to leave special teams alone, which means special teams is about to ball out this week, <laughs> but I like it. I like where we're at. I like an easy four for four here for you, me, and the golden hat. Texas hoping to keep the golden hat in Austin. We'll find out on Saturday, 11 a.m. God's time following. The uh, big pregame show on ESPN will be there. Uh, well, we won't be there, but we'll be here on Tuesday to break everything down for you in that matchup. All right, Gerald, let's take a look at the world through burnt orange lenses. We'll start with a little college football recap this week around the Big 12. Um, one of the wildest games I didn't see. I watched the highlights and, and caught the very last end of it, but... I saw Baylor, the score, come across the scoreline a couple different times, and they were down like 28 points really early uh, at the same time while UT was playing, and then the game ended, and I flipped over, and the craziest fourth-down conversion by UCF was then followed by uh, a couple plays to put them in in line for a 59-yard game-winning field goal, which was missed, and Baylor ultimately won. But just if you watch that whole game, I imagine – that comeback, that back and forth, that conversion, all of that, that maybe does that kick go in, must have been like a very low stakes, uh, incredible, like I'm thinking like 05 national championship level, just back and forth of, of two good teams, but for two bad teams, um, which is still incredibly fun. I mean, I, I watched just the end of that. I turned it on basically right as Baylor uh, was going to score the go-ahead touchdown. And then, like, I, I stopped literally everybody in my, my house. Like, watch this play when the quarterback, like, scrambled 75 <laughs> yards to convert on the fourth down, which ended up being meaningless for various reasons. But it was a heck of a game. Um, and Baylor pulls off the largest, upset, uh, largest comeback in school history. That's right. And sets up the butt bowl this week. Baylor taking on Texas Tech Tech. Uh, coming off a win as well, so this is a this is a a a well toned butt bowl with squats going on. Tech shutting out Houston in the second half to like win forty nine twenty eight. Yes, indeed. Uh, TCU, man, that's TCU led twenty one fourteen at the half. Ends up losing twenty four twenty one. Two block field goals. Gerald, you, as the resident, don't even hide it. Fan of West Virginia of the Mountaineers, you love that team. What the heck happened? Gotta trust the climb, baby. No, like it was um, West Virginia. I said it last week. They have the advantage of knowing what the heck they are, right? Like they've got a good defense and a refrigerator at running back. And that's what they're going to do. Um, And the fact that like, you know, TCU had a chance not once but twice to tie the game up. And an off a defensive lineman just sticks a paw up and blocked it. Like I literally was thinking it'd be hilarious if the second one got blocked and then it happened. And like <laughs> just one of those moments where um, college football is fun and absurd and ridiculous. And like we we talk we've talked about it before. And we'll say we'll whisper it, but like the the one score game variance. You know the pendulum does swing the other way, right? Like that happens, right? Oh man, I I hope that. TCU is stuck with Sonny Dykes and he never gets anywhere close to his height. Um, but like many schools, they give him money and extensions and can't because of the season he gave them like just a solid mediocrity of seven wins for the next 10 years. Like, I just hope it just absolutely kills them that they had one, one chance at glory and then Icarus too close to the sun. Um, the, the last game Iowa state was within one of OU. It was a close game. 
21-20. And then OU rattled off 29 unanswered. That will be the end of that. We've already talked about OU. We'll leave that at that. Unless there's anything you want to add to that one. Not a ton to add. Like Iowa State uh, has some dudes, but I think you see that their quarterback is young, right? Things kind of spiraled out. He made a couple of mistakes and things happened. And OU took advantage of it. But um, you know, Iowa State, I think, is is a is a couple of years away. You know, they have a true freshman that came in and it's good, but um, you know, you don't expect to lose your quarter, your first string quarterback and running back due to a gambling scandal in the offseason. Yeah, I was gonna say it seems like you're uh, you're you're willing to bet on Iowa State, um, and if you do so, use the code uh, Longhorn Twelve. On price picks. No, I'm kidding. Um, don't gamble with Iowa State. They're already gambling for you. I'll leave it alone. Um, NCAA generally. Um, Texas A&M wins comfortably over uh, the Pigs. Um, I don't think Arkansas is great this year. KJ Jefferson, good. They need Rocket uh, Sanders back, but they're you know they're fine. That was a close one at the half, and and also just Arkansas is not great. Um, Georgia. Georgia, I've got Georgia uh, number five. Ooh, tough, Kyle. Um, they're not the number one team right now. If you if you do the thing we talked about at the beginning of the season with, hey, if you blind Texas's jersey and look at their resume, you'll think they're better than they are. If you do the same with Georgia, you don't have that team in the playoff picture right now, the top four. Um, doesn't mean they don't deserve that respect of the two-time national champion. I get it. Brock Bauer is one of the best players in the country. Uh, when they just gave him the ball, they looked good. But all the other times, not great. Um, I don't know. Let's see the Lad McConkey renaissance in the second half. But Georgia escapes Auburn on a last-second uh, touchdown to Brock Bowers, 27-20. Uh, what are you thinking about the SEC, Gerald? The the parody in college football really is just like there's no elite quarterbacks in the SEC is what it is because, like, the Pac-12 has all of the elite quarterbacks minus one or two, right? Like, you look out west and you've got Caleb Williams and Shadur Sanders and Michael Penix and all of those dudes, Bo Nix. And, and the, the, so, like, a lot of the, the conversation about parody is just like the SEC – is not a great quarterback year for them, but that's not going to last forever. And so I'm curious to see, like it's most like the, let's just use like Colorado as the microcosm, right? Like, the quarterback position more than any other position in college football specifically is, is a multiplier effect. And so yeah. we see that a guy like Bryce young last year on this Alabama team, they look night and day different because Bryce young is significantly better than, um, you know, what Alabama has at quarterback or you bring in Shadur Sanders and some really talented skill position guys. And all of a sudden Colorado is able to put up ridiculous numbers. And so I think a lot of what the sec is this year, is just, it's not a great quarterback league. Speaking of Colorado, USC nearly lets them come all the way back. 48-41 is the final there. Caleb Williams looked great in the first half. Um, but Sanders and that offense basically just – I think they scored like a point a minute for the last, you know, eight minutes, something like that, or ten minutes. Just just they couldn't be stopped um, towards the end. And, and if there was another quarter in that game, you feel pretty good that Colorado might be able to make the upset. They were trending one direction, and, and the Alex Grinch defense – showed up in a way that uh, all neutrals had been hoping. Um, and and actually, all of our opponents this week. I know there's a lot of Sooners listening to this podcast because it's OU week. Uh, and, of course, you want to hear Texas talk about you. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's it's everyone in Norman was, was uh, enjoying that last quarter of USC falling apart a bit. Um, Alabama boat race Mississippi State, 40-17. Notre Dame in the big uh, last week's uh, game day game, 21-14, to survived. Duke and then Gerald you talked about quarterback play um in the SEC there was a lot of it um it was seven on seven there wasn't any defense they were playing against air 
But Ole Miss versus LSU is 55 to 49. And like, it's hard to score 100 points and have 1,300 yards of offense uh, unless you're playing a dynasty and just simulating defense. Like, I, how? How, Gerald? I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I, mm, I don't know. I don't like. This was the Lane Kiffin game I think we were expecting a week ago against Alabama, and I think LSU. I don't know what's up with them this year. Like they're and they're quietly like they're an okay team, right? They're they're going yeah. to they're yeah. going to win ten games this year. I would be shocked if they lost you know more than one more game this year. They're already you know lost two, so maybe they'll be a nine and three team this year, right? Which is you know below the expectation that I think they had for Brian Kelly going into the year. But I think part of the issue is physicality on defense. I think part of the issue was Harold Perkins hasn't looked like Harold Perkins from a year ago. Um, and like that, we talk about multipliers. Harold Perkins is a multiplier for your defense if you always have to account for harold perkins then there's at least one guy who's not blocking or not uh you know protecting your quarterback and so things go you know the math favors the defense um so i think that's part of it like it's just it's just weird yeah unless you lost some talent but it just it, i mean when, when i said ah, that arkansas team and kj jefferson's pretty good it, it, it was a lot uh on the back of them just absolutely you know going doing what they wanted at will against that lsu defense the lsu offense ultimately led them to a victory against arkansas but i think this is just going to be it they have a good offense and a bad defense and any team they play will you know take advantage of it and that's weird like i just didn't expect that coming into the year one thing no one expected what we're now all, all seeing is that wyoming and rice are both very good teams wyoming improves to four and one rice to three and two um I am always a fan of the teams that Texas plays after we play them, as long as it's not OU, um, especially out of conference, because that helps our strength of schedule. I believe Texas right now has the best record uh, of any any top 10 team, really any top 25 team of their opponents. Um, Texas opponents are 17 and three for reference. OUs are 13 and 12, which isn't bad, um, but 17 and three for Texas uh, when they're not playing Texas. Um, I think they're 17 and eight total, obviously five losses there, but 17 and three uh, is, is what the rest of the schedule has done against the rest of the country. So good teams, Texas should be the number one strength schedule after OU this weekend. I mean, they already are. If you look at K Ford's ranking. So like, let's just keep that moving. Gerald, I have two more pieces. I'll say um, Deshaun Jameson becoming on Wikipedia uh, Kirk Cousins' father was not something I had drawn up in the offseason. Uh, Bijan Robinson playing as a uh, Toy Story toy was Let me buy a bobble not. <laughs> it was not something I dreamed at all. But, man, fun week for Longhorns in the NFL just with those two pl- you know, players. Uh, Bijan is, is him. But uh, the, the last piece here that I did want to cover is DeAndre Moore uh, using his NIL for a food truck called Jive Turkey over on East Riverside Drive. I'm excited. I, it's not since Bijan Musterson has a UT player uh, food stuff excited me this much. I'm a, I'm a big fan of comfort food. I mean, there's nothing uh, better than like a you know a Thanksgiving turkey sandwich, which I think they have one there, which is just going to be absolutely incredible. Um, Kool Aid, Jello, like all sorts of fun. It's like fun, you know. It's going to be good. His mom, you know, he and his mom are his mom is operating it, so I'm excited to see uh, how that goes. And again, go out and support him. Yeah, his mom is the chef, and I believe the the thought is that she spent a lot of their childhood replacing beef with turkey for more lean and healthy substitutes. It obviously worked well. Um, John Moore, an incredible high school player and recruit, now made his way to Texas. 
now come full circle. So go check them out. Um, Jive Turkey can be found on East Riverside. Um, I believe it's been open for a couple weeks, so check them out there. Gerald, take us home. Final segment. Let's close this thing out. A little bit of Godzilla Tron. What are you watching? On your giant screen. Yeah, so it ha- it was a bit of a family movie weekend. I'll start with, uh, it is also spooky season, and I like try to be into spooky stuff. I'm listening to this audiobook, Gideon the Ninth is what it's called. My wife r- listened to it and said it was okay after you've seen it recommended a lot. I don't know what's going on. I'm like, I don't know, a couple, you know, 10% into the audiobook, and I'm still very confused about what the heck is happening. Um, it's like a weird, like, fantasy sci-fi mix thing, so I don't know. I may, I may just, like, DNF it, like, do not finish it and just kind of move on, because it's really not doing a whole whole lot for me but everybody says it's great so i might i you know we may just like push through and see what happens but uh big family movie weekend for us so family night pizza night movie night on friday night we watched the movie nimona which is a netflix original movie and i'm gonna put this caveat up front if you're the type of person that gets upset um to see two guys it's like the romantic certain like nucleus of the movie then like just skip this part don't watch it but like it is objectively one of the most beautiful movies i've seen in the last probably 12 to 15 months like um hmm animation wise it's beautiful the story they're trying to tell is beautiful and like i you know i watch it with my kids and um you know my my oldest son is getting to the point where he's like starting to track the plots of the emotional threads of the movie and like i'm watching it sitting there and like i'm getting emotional at the end of this film because i'm i'm a movie crier it's just what i do like movies and tv shows make me cry because i like you know i'd like to go on the emotional journey with the characters but like watching him go on the emotional journey and i don't i don't want to spoil the ending if you're going to watch this movie um but like he said like word for word the emotional thing that they were trying to teach people with this film like you know they all have an emotional core and that's the thing that jumped out to him more than anything else in the movie it's like she said they're not scared they're not mean they're just scared and that's what he says Mm. to me a six-year-old i'm like yes like so this movie Mm. beautifully tells that story um and it's just a story about like you know, not letting our differences divide us, which is a, which is a, a really cool thing to, to watch with your kids. And so we had a blast. It's a cool like future fantasy thing. It's kind of a mix of like if we never got rid of swords and you know bows and arrows, but like added technology to it. So it's really interesting. I like the world. It's very cool, very fun. Uh, Riz Ahmed and Chloe Grace Moretz are the leads in it. So very great voice acting cast. Um, I had a blast with it. It was really fun. And then I took my oldest two to watch the Paw Patrol movie on Sunday, and it was so it was you know it didn't suck which is always good when you go to see a movie <laughs> like that um it like you know was fine like, and the paw patrol like paw patrol is not like the worst thing in the world there are worse things that my kids watch so we watch that um but like we need to have a conversation about the fact that like the leader of the paw patrol is a preteen that takes orphans turns them into um rescue workers in dangerous situations has zero <laughs> government oversight and has all of the merchandising right for these these orphan child soldiers essentially so like he puts up this billion dollar tower in the middle of a city and runs his own like paramilitary group out of it like we should really like let's let's just examine what the paw patrol is for a second and that's my rant for the day uh elon Musk loves paw patrol um gerald I, I am so significantly more likely to watch either of the two animated things that you recommended versus the spooky season thing i just have no appetite for anything scary it just doesn't doesn't titillate me in in the ways that i think it's supposed to i just it, don't enjoy it never have um yeah, just not my not my jam. So if you're looking for a spooky season podcast, this is not uh, your bag, baby. But um, if you're looking for a podcast that goes in on movies that were released uh, between ten and twenty years ago, then here I come, um, <laughs> Gerald. I I watched uh, in my Fast and Furious rewatch with my wife, and I say rewatch. She's seen most of them 
seven to ten times um her favorite franchise of all time good friend of the podcast who's never listened mario uh is is uh is aligned with her that is it is our great our nation's great opus of our times um they get more and more ridiculous we're on fast five and six right now or just finished those we're on seven i guess um it's The Rock, which was a great addition to this world. Um, I think Fast Five is actually a great film, the Rio de Janeiro it's one. It's actually a really good um, movie. Like a really good yeah, action flick. Like legitimately is great. Six gets a little um, like wonky and like a little ridiculous. There's like a lot of like physics questions about how you weigh down a plane with other cars attached to that plane. Um, and it's, yeah, I mean, it's just, just a bit ridiculous how exactly you get into max security prison, kill people, and then get out. Like, some of those questions. That, but you, if you watch these fast movies, you don't ask those questions. And that's an important part of enjoying them. And if you can do that and suspend that reality. I had actually never seen Fast 6. I had seen Tokyo Drift, like, four times. I'd seen the first two, you know, a couple times. I had seen Fast 5. I had not seen past it, um, except Hobbs and Shaw. So I'm now in the part where I'm actually... Um, seeing these for the first time and so it's fun i'm enjoying it it's like across a couple different streaming services like i think fast four and five are on peacock and fast seven but six you had to go to hbo or to max it's ridiculous but anyways if you have all of them you can do the same i'm doing and i'd recommend it it's fun what i would recommend at the highest order is wrexham welcome to wrexham season two the first was such a flash in a pan and Post Ted Lasso, people had an appetite for soccer, but that made you feel things. Um, and that's what I think I would call Welcome to Wrexham, the, the first season. It was a documentary that just every third or fourth episode was like, whoa, okay, didn't see that coming. I Oh, okay, we're going to talk about men's mental health during COVID. Okay, like just some like really interesting things. And, and even still in the second season, I think the first five episodes are out. Um some shorter ones, 20 minute episodes, which I love. Um, but they tell, they use that short chunk to tell interesting stories. Like there was, I, if you watched it live, if you become a fan of the team, like my wife and I have, um, there was a point where the, their star player put boots on social media. That's, that's, uh, cleats for, for those, uh, Yanks here who don't speak, uh, British soccer lingo, but put his boots with a, uh, F, uh, the Tories, which is a political party in England. Um, and then there was a firestorm. So it could have been an episode about the firestorm, but instead the way they told it was like just a real, you can tell they're filmmakers and they made like a really interesting 20 minute episode about, that that wasn't just about that that was about this larger story that was really told uh kind of cheekily and and interestingly i just feel like they do a good job telling what ultimately is a good story i know the ending uh, to this one because we watched it in real life uh and much like the f1 series that this behind the scenes view is much better even than the real life product It, it adds so much to it so if you're at all interested in soccer or like my wife not at all uh but just interested in good documentaries uh go and watch season one but definitely get through season two which is holding up very well and that's all we've got for you this week kyle where can the good folks find you on the internet oh you can find me on the socials media at kyle carpenter you can also follow the text pregamer at texas pregamer follow me on twitter at gh goodridge follow the show on twitter at longhorn pod facebook and instagram the longhorn republic shoot us an email longhorn republic pod at gmail.com we'll be back with our recap of the OU game. Hopefully we're having glad tidings for you on Tuesday, but either way, we'll be back in your podcast feed Tuesday morning. Thank you so much for tuning in again. And until next time, welcome. It's 9 52 PM and OU still sucks. Welcome.